Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. This episode, I'm going to be pulling from one of Karl Popper's books, The Logic of Scientific Discovery, and I'm going to go over his section on falsifiability as a criterion of demarcation. Falsifiability is a hypothetical or an experimental observation, such as lions roar louder than tigers. We can view through observation and experimentation whether a lion does in fact roar louder than a tiger, and we could change the conditions in which we see which one is roaring louder. The lion might not have roared to a certain extent at one time and could roar in a different way at another time, and vice versa with the tiger. And it is that where we can say, no, it's actually the lions that have a thicker roar. Or we could turn it back on itself, say, no, the lions aren't. It's actually in this world here, in this instance, the tiger will roar louder. We can supply some sort of other observable, verifiable account that says that the other hypo hypothesis or theory of knowledge in science, when proposed, we can see it as being false in some other instance, but it doesn't mean it's false or not false yet. And that's sort of the idea is because most theories, 90% or more of them, fall on their face and or have been amendable. And we've seen that in the 20th century. One statement or a, fam a famous kind of uh, argument of the burden of proof is that if you claim God exists, but we can't propose that in some other instance it's falsifiable by saying, well, in, in this instance, God does not exist. And there's just no way you can set up an experiment that you can verifiably conclude or decisively conclude that it is not the case that God exists because we're not able to verify verifiably understand it and account for it that the more falsifiable criterion you have that you can verifiably propose and can uh, view through an empirical lens, one that you can you can see through induction, that the more you, you gather instances that disprove other instances that are proposed hypothetically, then the stronger the falsifiability criterion, and in essence the stronger the supposition that that hypothesis is in fact decidedly conclusive or true, or at least it makes the theory stronger that the better the law, the better the scientific theory, the more falsifiable criterion you can propose that, that you could stand that that hypothesis or that, that, that scientific statement. You can hold that scientific statement accountable. It makes it more stronger, and it's being attacked by whole different other ways of, of viewing that same statement. And in a way, you try to disprove it and think of instances where it would be false. And if it stands up to it, then it survives, basically. It's strong, and it's, mo you know, most verifiable and decidedly conclusive. You, you could rest on it, but that still isn't exactly guaranteed, and we'll go into that more. Now, for Popper, he says that, in his view, that there's no such thing as induction, and induction is a sort of empirical logic where you keep introducing instances and variables and possibilities until, basically, it becomes less and less likely that the original statement holds water, or that there isn't some other instance where it isn't true in some way. Way. So it changes the um, maybe the structure of the claim or where it's supposed to be valid or where wherever that claim is supposed to, to make sense or be conclusive winds up being less and less conclusive with context or when you introduce more variables and certain generalities about things become less and less likely the more experience and data you throw onto it. But he says it's not exactly that you're, you're verifying things that account for it because that could be tenuous. It could go back and forth, but it's the falsifiability of it which makes it a valid uh, claim. It demarcates whether or not it's a good hypothesis or scientific theory is the strength that it holds up to in, in light of being that it's being possible that it's false. 
He says that something like, it will rain or not rain here tomorrow will not be regarded as empirical or that which you can totally sense or ground and experience because it, it can't be refuted as opposed to it will rain here tomorrow is empirical. You go see if it did or not decidedly because it's a very falsifiable sort of thing or it's a totally verifiable sort of thing. He favors the element of deduction over induction. Because if we're always trying to balance out, it will be, maybe it won't be, it's always right on its own footing rather than it decisively being held accountable to possibly not being the case. And I don't think he's discounting an induction or, or that. He's basically just saying induction appears to be something because we're, we're unsure on the grounds in which we stand sometimes when we're making certain claims about things without knowing the entire set of, of data or instances where the phenomena exists. Like maybe this is more the case case even in cell biology where we don't know what's turning on and off or what's causing certain things to take place and we're we're speculating on well we think it's this this protein is, is is coming in and then it's causing this cell to behave in the way it does and then it destroys you know whatever and blah 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 on and on you know i don't know but basically imagining worlds within worlds where it's not one instance that will will cause something but that there's a whole realm of instances that may be a cause and that even if we do verify what's going on we're not necessarily a hundred percent deductively grounded if there's a possibility that new instances will come along and be responsible for what we're viewing that there's things either around us or down the line that actually cause something to happen and it's not looking at one thing as a cause rather than a, a whole host of things that might be causing it. I think sometimes these are matters of perception. If you look at a plane going by and they're they're dropping a cargo load, it looks like that cargo load is sort of moving across the sky as it goes down. And we're thinking, okay, well, it's moving sideways and going down, but it isn't moving sideways and going down. It is only going down from an inertial frame reference. As the plane moves, it's going straight down. But since we are not moving with the plane, we're seeing the cargo move sideways because we are not moving. <laughs> so it's sort of like a parallax perception. So, you know, we could introduce like, well, something can be, um, it's not moving down. It's moving sideways and down in this fashion. And in this way that in some instance, we can't, if we didn't know that it was in fact only, like if we didn't see the plane anywhere and we just saw these objects flying across the sky, we would look at them and go, whoa, like what, what is this? Why is it moving such that's so weird? Maybe we'd be freaked out and be like, is this, hmm, uh, what is descending towards the earth? You know, we could come up with all different kinds of things rather than going, well, wait a minute, what if it's um, just stuff being dropped at a different velocity, but it's only appears to be moving that way, but it's only going down. You know, to say something like that without having a different view on it, we just supply some other example um, with an unverifiable lens. Um, we just introduce some sort of auxiliary thing, we say, well, what about that? What if? And then it immediately sort of ad hoc throws it out of whack, and it sort of avoids falsification because we couldn't know on a reasonable basis verifiably what's actually happening. You know, it takes only the imagination now to leave it up to you to make something false rather than actually falsifying it. So rendering something false is different than actually providing falsification criteria, and we got to remember that. 
or maybe even looking into a sort of a miracle. Like what constitutes a miracle? Well, I can throw an instance at you that could look something like, there's just no way that that could have happened at that moment in time the way it did. And uh, that, that, that object or that person interfered at that moment, allowing the person to cross the street and stop um, a, a car crash or stop him from being hit by the car. It was only a, a freak instance that that person dropped their, their items in the middle of the road and held up traffic long enough so that someone didn't come barreling through that part of the uh, intersection or, or something like that. I, I, don't, I don't know how to really explain this, but you know what I mean, how there's serendipitously, like maybe something happens and it stops someone and then another event unfolds where, oh, if that person wasn't there at that moment, it would mean that down the line that would have happened. You know what I mean. I can't really put it together, but I think I think you get the point. But we could always say something like, it was some intervention we can't see, rather than it being just a stumbling unfolding. And it appears a certain way and we wonder about it, but is it really? And it's an auxiliary sort of a stance to kind of think that way. Not to say there isn't things like that, but, but it's to say that, well, there's no ground in which you could say deductively, yes, we see and, and hold it up, to its account that it was in fact some sort of intervention that brought it there but there's no way to falsify that so it's not a reasonable demar demarcation material because you cannot verify it and you cannot falsify it so we've had examples with the cargo going across the sky as being falsifiable but not verifiable and then that instance which is neither verifiable or falsifiable now the lions roaring and which ones are roaring louder that is verifiable and it can be falsified and, and so too with what turns on and off certain genes and what activity in cells are causing different problems throughout the body can be seen in many different ways and be held up to different accounts. It's really about the exposure of logical systems to other logical systems and holding them accountable to each other, working at them, seeing which ones hold up through a mode of, of, of claiming other instances that cause the same outcome so that you can decide on a conclusion. You, you, you put them up together, compare them, and then they work themselves out into truth that you sort of work with those and the one that stands up to the most falsifiable criteria sort of wins that place as being the truth. And of course it isn't like competing against itself, it's more is it you're finding out deductively if it's true. You're sort of competing with your own conceptual schemes at that point. And then you know you're you're truly a winner if you can uh, deductively reduce the claim to truth and and make a stronger scientific claim brings you closer to the truth, then that's sort of the, what you're after as, as a goal, rather than being left in ob inductive obscurity where things go awry because there's so many options that you are unable um, to put up against and, and overcome. And there's a limitation to experience. Experience alone cannot decidedly give us truth and falsity all of the time, especially in, in certain kinds of matters that cannot be verified or can be, but have many instances of falsifiability. Depending on, on what the claims are standing up to will really change the nature of whether or not it turns out to be true or not. Karl Popper puts it briefly and sums this whole thing up with falsification presupposes that there is no inductive or yet-to-be-seen information through experience as we introduce variables. There's no inference with all of that, but only that there's a tautological or a total derived set of information that leads you to understand that, that the claim can be transformed deductively to be itself because it has held fast to itself 
because it's been proposed that something else can falsify it and then in the end did not and it retains its validity because we saw different instances in which something else would be true and it turned out not to be and gave itself the derivation of upholding its truth value so it retained its validity and then it has a, a lack it's undisputed it has a, a lack of being refuted and I think that goes along with, you know, finding out the information empirically in a deductive manner. But after that, you falsify that, you find it out, and then you go, okay, this is our most falsifiable claim. We held it up to verification, and it turns out that we have both these criteria, and it has met that match the most amount of times. Tautologically, we are to say, this holds up to the truth more than anything else we've done. This one wins the position of being that which is true, because it has held the most water out of everything. So it is decisively and conclusively the case. That doesn't mean that other things that have been ruled out can't be, because they can have that criteria. But it's the method of doing this. It's this method that gives us the validity in science, and thus ends disputes. So really, um, we win by sort of resolving that process. And that is the way in which Karl Popper sees the criterion of knowing which statements in science can be considered true, or I should just say empirical truths by designs of our methods and by our senses we come at we come at it in a more conclusively decidable way through this method and he thinks that this is the best way to conduct ourselves in science but of course this can't be the only way that we can conceive of our experience there's sort of an existential and intuitive approach to life as well it's not to say that we should give up on on having a supposition that maybe we don't hold on to it so tightly but in essence i think through your own experience you start developing a sense of what is true to you um, and that might not be we, we, we might not know what those are but ultimately we're not trying to be so accurate and win our terms over that much but i think there there is this sort of uh, rigorousness of the ideas that you do have, that uh, that you formulate them enough and you look into them and you sort of start, you know, competing with them and seeing like, oh, well, which one is the truth? And then eventually you start, you know, seeing, well, well, the ones I know more for sure that I could be decidedly so on are the ones in which I can put up to as false and then it actually turn out to be verifiable and true because it was very falsifiable and turned out to be verifiable as well. And held fast to the test of time, I suppose, or the test of information. But I think even pining after being very certain about everything, sometimes you lose the intuitive capacity to just, you know, have fun with what with what the possible is, but just to always remember, you know, to be accountable for your ideas. Of course, everyone has to hold each other accountable for their ideas and, and at least, you know, speak towards the uh, kind of thoughts you're having and, and just kind of watch them because the obsession with being right sometimes doesn't really matter that much. And I think, you know, being overly scientific in this way probably won't make you the most awesome person at parties. And <laughs> I don't know, there's probably just a, a quite a bit of philosophers that don't have all the friends in the world. Maybe they're not the, the greatest uh, to be to be around all the time, but that doesn't mean that they're, you know, a worse person. I mean, they're, they certainly probably know more than the average person, and they're probably more right most of the time, you know. But I think the obsession with even if you are right, but you always have to try to be right about things can really be a turnoff to people and I think socially you know we're social creatures as, as well and even the scientific community is is a social aspect um, and you even win your terms on just likability <laughs> just the community you're in and the likability that you have so to be kept in mind as a sort of a pragmatism to 
even hold these these methods in ways of approaching things, but just be patient and not lord over people with, well, um, can you falsify all that? And have we have verifiable uh, criteria for this? Totally okay, good. You know, I don't know. <laughs> to be stuck in that sort of view of everything could, I suppose, also take the, the fun out of just believing certain things <laughs> without all the evidence. That's just me, though. Hey, we're all different kinds of uh, philosophical beings in our own right. Thank you for joining me. I'll see you next time. Be sure to visit patreon.com forward slash Solomon's Temple, and I will see you next time.